Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Dogs on Top, our podcast about the Georgia MBA, where we share our stories about our students, faculty, and staff, and what it's like to be a part of the program of the Terry College of Business and the University of Georgia. I'm Deirdre Kane, your host and the Director of Admissions for the Full-Time MBA. This podcast started at the beginning of the pandemic as an effort to bring the program and Athens to incoming students and prospective applicants. In season two, we are talking to people in the community. In this episode, I am talking with Charlie Mustard, one of three owners of Jittery Joe's, a local coffee roaster with several locations around town and on campus. We held our conversation in the tasting room at the roaster on Barber Street, right next to the train tracks and in between roasting batches of coffee. So you will hear the train and the hum of the roaster during our conversation. Jittery Joe's has been in business since 1994 and has grown from one location on Washington Street near the 40 watt to its current size. I met Charlie soon after moving to Athens because like many Athenians, he is easy to talk to. Jittery Joe's has centered their business around supporting the Athens community, and the Roaster is a go-to destination for coffee, conversation, and events like the Winter Market. Charlie came to Athens to attend the vet school and found his calling and his passion in roasting and serving coffee. So, let's get started. Oh, okay, so I'm here today with um, Charlie Mustard at Jittery Joe's in a, uh, to, to talk about coffee and a lot of things in Athens. Now, Jittery Joe's is considered an institution in Athens, and many people would argue that Charlie's considered an institution in <laughs> Athens. Um, and so I thought this would be a good opportunity to, to talk about all of that, because you didn't get to be an institution overnight. Yeah, sometimes um, good, sometimes bad. Yeah, <laughs> and so there, there's a lot of talk about building a business as well as the connections to the community. So, but if we could start off, just sort of give me, you know, give people who are listening a sense of actually where we're sitting today. Okay, well, we're sitting in what at the Roaster. We're at 425 Barber Street in Athens, and we have a Quonset hut where we do all the processing, the roasting. But we're in a little. Uh, concrete house that in the room where we do all our tastings and where if you were interested in developing a blend we would work with you in here um, if we're sample roasting and tasting coffees that we're going to pick out and whatnot that that's the room that we're in so we're right outside of the um, main Quonset hut and you can kind of hear the roaster running and then um, there's a train track right next to us too and so we might hear a train come by. It's one of my favorite things. Mine too, mine (laughs) too. And what is this machine in the corner? That's a little roaster that actually I had taught a guy how to roast a long time ago that had a, a summer camp. And so, and he had, it was one of those summer camps where he had five, 600 kids at a time, a huge summer camp. But in the off season, he wanted to make a little extra money to support the camp. And so he got this little roaster. Well, he had since passed away, and his uh, daughter um, brought that to me. It was in a barn, kind of setting for a long time. And um, some people have uh, taken things from it, like the little bell and the little sampler and different mm-hmm. things. But we're going to rebuild that eventually. Oh, okay. So it's okay. a little five-pound roaster. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now that we sort of know where we are, yeah, um, people are listening. So tell, but I want to sort of talk about you first. So tell me about yourself. And sort of what what brought you to Athens in the first place? Yeah. Well, so I'm from 
South Carolina, and my my dad and my granddad were born in Charleston, and then my mom was born in in uh, California, and they had met out in Hawaii at a Bob Dylan concert, which is just classic. <laughs> he was in the Navy, and uh, but anyway, um, he talked her to moving in to south into the South, and so I grew up in Columbia, South Carolina, and. I worked for a vet from sixth grade all the way through high school. And so, you know, just in a sense of being brainwashed, everybody's like, you're going to be a veterinarian. You're going to be a veterinarian. I was like, man, I guess I'm going to be a veterinarian, you know? (laughs) So that was my goal. And I went to Clemson um, because if you went uh, to Clemson, you could get an in-state tuition at UGA, North Carolina, or Tuskegee. Um, because South Carolina doesn't have a vet school. So I went for three years to Clemson and then got accepted to UGA to vet school, and that's how I got here. Okay. And so pretty much once I was in, I was like, this is not what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> but I stayed in for another two two years, two and a half years, and um, and then just made the call that this is for sure not what I want to do. I've worked so hard to get in there, you know, but mm-hmm. – um, then I got, well, I, I got a teaching certificate at Clark's for Clark Central and I taught anatomy and physiology because that was just fitting because I had cut up so many different animals and, and dissected them in vet school. And uh, so I did that and then went back and got a master's in nutrition. And so that that's my um, time here in Athens before I started coffee. Okay. Well, that's really interesting to me because, you know, in preparing for this, you know, I was remembering that we had, we brought a group of MBA students, maybe 2011, 2012. And yeah. You did a tour of the, the brewery for us, but we weren't here. It was, oh, might down have been on the East old location. Yeah. Um, and so I remember talking to you there. And so I, I certainly only know you as the coffee guy. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I knew there was a science, <laughs> a science aspect to that, but didn't know anything else. That's right. Um, well, then how did, you know, how did you get involved with Jittery Joe's? Yeah. And when? Well, so I got involved. Jittery Joe's started in 1994 by two brothers, Keith and Carl Kortmeyer. And uh, Keith, it was really Keith's idea, but he was too young at the time to ha- own his own bar. So he decided he would open a coffee shop, which is really, it was it's not the first coffee shop in Athens, but it was a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week coffee shop. Um, down on uh, Washington Street near the 40 Watt. And so where I became involved in the sense is that that's where I could write the best for my thesis. I would just go back into the back. It was dark and I had a little lamp and a little table and then I would just crank out my thesis for whatever reason. Um, But they got mentioned in Rolling Stone magazine as one of the best coffee shops in the country and so they started getting a lot busier. And so they figured that they would roast their own coffee and save some money because they were buying coffee from Atlanta. And so I'm just sitting there eavesdropping. <laughs> I was like, man, roasting coffee. And uh, so I went to the science library because I have a lot of science background. And mm-hmm. I looked up roasting coffee and I was like, man, I can do this. Yeah. And so I went back and told them, I was like, man, I'll... I'll roast y'all's coffee if I can have all the coffee I can drink while I'm writing my thesis. And they're like, that's a good deal. (laughs) So that's how it started. 
And then as I finished my thesis, last resort wanted coffee and De Palma's wanted coffee and the grit wanted coffee. And so I had never, that was my first experience seeing somebody have an idea in their head and put it on paper and then go for it and it work mm-hmm. like, like as an option, like in my, my world, it was, you go to school and you know, you, you find, get a degree and you go to work and do it. You know, that, that was mm-hmm. my world or you teach or you do something. And uh, so to see that as an option and see it working well, I thought, well, man, I'll buy the machine from them and then sell them coffee and sell these other people that want coffee. So then that's what I did. And, and then that's what I've been doing. So, And where did the name come from? So the name came before it, you came. Yeah, the so name came okay. before me. It was uh, from a Simpsons, a spoof, <laughs> a Simpsons spoof on Thelma and Louise. Okay. So the movie Thelma and Louise, but then if you watch the Simpsons spoof, there's a little cafe in there called Jittery Joe's. And Keith had taken, you know, and looked it up to see if that name was taken. And it wasn't taken. He was like, that's the perfect name. And uh, it's very fitting because the Simpsons and, and Jittery Joe's, as we are, it's a good fit. <laughs> it, is, it is a good fit. And yeah. Anybody who stops by will understand that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the first location was down in Washington Street. So um, how the business grow from there? Uh, well, that's where we did the roasting. And as the roasting got busier, we had to move the roasting operation out of downtown. First, we had to alter our hours and I had to roast from five in the afternoon until I was done because the smoke was bothering some of the other businesses. Mm -hmm. And uh, rightfully so, because like where uh, Trapeze is now was a furniture store. Um, and before that day, a long time ago, they built it. They sold cars in there, in the, in that building. I did not know that. <laughs> so, but the smoke was going into some of the ventilation and then making the couches and things smell like cough, roasted coffee. Um, so that's not ideal. So anyway, I had uh, shifted um, my roasting. And then we just got busier and we moved the roasting out of the downtown um, and then Keith and Carl were opening the down the Five Points Jittery Joe's that was on the corner where the running store is now. Is was that was the first Jittery Joe's in Five Points, but now it's in another location just behind it. Okay, yeah. interesting. Okay, so you've been growing Jittery Joe's in that way. So you, I see that you know bigger and bigger machines. Right, right. <laughs> um, and. How is, has it changed your role in any way? You're sort of still... It, it, yeah, no, it really has. Because when I first started doing this, I did everything. So I, I packed, the, I roasted the coffee, I packed the coffee, I delivered the coffee, I sold the coffee. Yeah, I did everything. And then I added other things to um, my plate in the sense of distributing syrup and distributing equipment and, and tea and all these other things that in my mind were like, man, that's that's what other people are doing. I need to do that too to be a part of this industry and uh, learn some really valuable lessons on, on that. But what it's allowed for me now is uh, Bob Googe and Michael Ripps are owners. They have bought out uh, Keith and Carl and 
both of them are awesome in the sense that Bob is a very particular numbers guy. So I had sold him. My first shop was over at the east side um, where Chick-fil-A is now. We had a coffee shop there and uh, Bob was sitting at the old roaster that you were speaking of on, on East Broad. And I said, man, I think I'm going to sell that coffee shop. And he said, yeah, how much you want? <laughs> and I said, I just gave him a number and he came back next day. He goes, I'll take it. And I was like, dang, I should have given him a higher number. You know? <laughs> but his questions were so detailed as in how many lattes do you have to sell to cover your cost or how many cappuccinos or what are the, all these mm-hmm. numbers that I just had no business uh, at all understanding. You know, I just, I told him, I said, look, I have a cash register and at the end of the day, I open up and I count the money. And if I can pay stuff, I pay it. And if there's money left, I'm like, woo! <laughs> you know, so uh, so he's super detailed. And then Michael Rips is, um, he, if you remember uh, Lycos, it was a search engine a long time ago. He yes. was the president okay. of Lycos in Asia. And so he's, he has a big picture view. And it's just, it's awesome because they do all of that. And the only thing I do now is what I love doing is roasting coffee and developing blends and quality and that kind of thing. I don't do any of the other. So it's perfect because I I can't stand doing any other. (laughs) So how many, so you went from one employee to how many do you have now? In in this facility or just an overall? Because we have... A number of coffee shops like in town and whatnot um but th- those are a lot of part-time but i would say including all the coffee shops and including here uh i don't know maybe 200 okay yeah and, you, and you've branched out to atlanta too yeah and, and atlanta is is those aren't our coffee shops so that okay. like if you've been to the ritz carlton there's a jittery joe's in their lobby and it's so nice and uh you can tell we didn't do it <laughs> it's nice but that's a uh, licensed okay and so we license the name kind of like a uh, starbucks license the mm-hmm. name for kroger or wherever else they have the little kiosk kind of things mm-hmm. so we license that we train them and um and they've been here a number of times with their new crews learning how to make drinks and about coffee and all that kind of thing so the ones like that and in the savvy markets and those those are licensed so you built the business by sort of figuring it out as you go. So trial and error, it right. sounds like. Yeah, yeah. So can you talk about some of the lessons that you learned along the way? Oh, yeah. Well, one one big lesson was me uh, providing equipment to anyone that wanted equipment. So in a sense, like if you're a big, if you're a restaurant and you're buying coffee from your food distributor, they will give you a coffee maker. And then, and then you buy the coffee from them, right? Mm-hmm. Well, in that sense, they're making so much money off of everything that they're selling to that restaurant that they're able to do that. That was a thing for, for a while. And so I'm like, man, I should do that, you know? And so I, I started like, yeah, you want a brewer? I get you a brewer, but uh, just a regular drip coffee brewer with three burners is about $1,100. And so, you know, me not really fully understanding everything, I would just give those or bigger brewers of a bigger account. 
but it would take about two years to pay that off with the volume of coffee, depending. If it was a large volume, it'd be faster, but a typical. But then if it would break, then all of a sudden now you have a repair bill on top of that that you're just adding to it. And so just went into the hole hard, you know? Like, man, I can't do this. And then somebody was like, yeah, you can't, you can't do that. You need to figure out a different way. And so the newest the way that I did it was, I'd say, if you're a restaurant owner, I'm a distributor of this equipment. I will sell it to you at cost, sell it to you. So it's your brewer. You can use whoever's coffee you want, but we're ha- we have a relationship and then I'll just mark up the coffee just a little bit, like 50 cent, you know, Mm-hmm. Um, no, I'll take 50 cent off. So to help you recuperate your cost and, and that seemed to work beautifully. Um, so, and then I found a number of sources in Atlanta that, uh, sold used equipment. And so you could get it even cheaper and then they would service it and have a contract and it was so much better. And then the food service companies stopped doing that as well. So but so, that was a hard lesson. And what other lessons? Because I see the racks are full, so business is good. Um, oh, yeah. So, uh, Well, the, uh, the one I was telling you before mm-hmm. is me doing uh, everything in the sense of providing syrups and providing tea and providing equipment and providing um, just trying to do everything. And it uses a lot of your capital. And I started out just on a shoestring budget, you know, so in a sense, I didn't have a lot of capital. Um, and so I was always trying to rotate money. I got to pay off the service, the syrup distributor, you know, so that I can get more syrup, but then I'm going to have to be selling a little bit more syrup with the coffee so I can pay the coffee guy so I can get some more coffee. Just, just your typical Mm kind of, kind of lessons. Okay. Yeah. I lost a really good four wheel drive suburban truck one time because I went to compete with uh, some other coffee companies for business at the Tate Center. So like down in the food court and everything. And they said they would go with me if they would provide, if I would provide the equipment. And it was a big, it seemed like a big account. And so just fresh off of you know, learning, don't provide the equipment. I was like, dang, I really want this because I'll get a lot of exposure with everybody drinking Jittery Joe's on campus. That was before the student learning center um, shop and everything. And so I went and sold my truck so that I could buy a brewer and and put it in there. And I guess it was good because I was in there for years, you know, and I got good exposure from it and everything, but I really miss that truck. (laughs) It was a good truck. (laughs) Um, how do you keep up with demand now? Cause uh, every time I come here, something's going on. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, well we have, we have a really nice coffee roaster, a machine that's uh, way larger than the ones we've had in the past. And so the capacity of it, we're not, we're not near the capacity of that roaster. So it allows us to do, you know, pretty much whatever we want to do. So when we have, like we're getting ready to have another release of the widespread panic coffee. Um, if, and some of those releases are huge. And so we're bringing back one by demand because people want this other blend in this other can that we've had. Um, so 
I will be able to roast really kind of heavy for the week, get what needs to be done done, but also get ahead for the packaging department. So then when they do the release, there's plenty of cans already there to, to sell. Like we're not just reactionary of, whoa, we have 800 orders today. Now we got to roast that coffee and then pack it and then try mm-hmm. to get it out. We'll already have had it. That's mm-hmm. just from the experience of doing it. We've definitely been hit like that. We're like, do you think this is really 800 orders <laughs> from yesterday? Like, no, that's probably not, you know? <laughs> but yeah. and then it is. You're like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Now, I heard that this isn't something you want to talk about, but you got that machine from Nicaragua that you were going to restore. Oh, yeah. How is that going? It, it's, it's fully restored oh, except okay. for a burner. And we're, we're actually have someone looking at it to buy it. Um, and so they will buy, they will purchase a burner, whatever burner they want, and then have it installed on site instead of us installing the burner and then taking it all apart and then, you know, selling okay. it. But we're looking at uh, a few other options as far as another like new state of the art roaster. Mm-hmm. Um, and that way I can have uh, some other people train some other people how to use it. And it's not as specific as me standing there um, because that I have down and it's a craft and it's, it's something you learn over time. And I've probably, man, I've probably roasted, I don't know, 70, 80,000 batches of coffee, you know, or more um, millions of pounds. And so there's a lot of little nuanced things that you react to, to develop a profile the way that you want. And those can be programmed into a new, newer roaster, but not the roaster that we have now. The roaster we have now is fully manual. So it's, if I walk away, it's a lot of Italian roast. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, The next thing I wanted to ask you about is, you know, Jittery Joe's isn't the only roaster in town, but I think it's the biggest, right? Right. Um, And you've supported other roasters, but how has Jittery Joe's been involved in the community over the the years? Uh, Well, one of our biggest things is we, we don't have an advertising budget. We have decided, and we decided this a long time ago, that... If someone is doing a 5K and they want a couple Cambros of coffee or uh, they need some door prizes for an event or like the Boy Bouton Ball or mm-hmm. something like that, then that's what we do. And, and we participate and we, we give thousands and thousands of dollars away to help support like the river cleanups and all that kind of thing. Um, and we just think that that's a lot more productive and it's better for the community than putting up a big billboard and go, Hey, buy some jittery Joe's, mm-hmm. you know, this, this way we actually help with, with events and things that are making the community better, but our name is also out there. Mm-hmm. It's like, Oh yeah. You know, we got some jittery Joe's. So now you also have the space here now to host events. So there's a few things that I've noticed here, the winter market. Yeah the cycling yeah and the food food truck um the food truck markets and those kind of things um they you know they've really kind of fallen off with the covid type stuff but um we have rashi uh who's bringing her jamaican food truck she's going to start coming here again 
Um, she was going to come this Friday, but her, her truck's getting worked on. But we had Manila Express Tuesdays and Thursdays out here. And uh, so we'll continue to do those types of things. And then there's some word of, uh, um, I don't know if y'all remember the Bulldog Inn art displays. No. Like you would get, Bulldog Inn would let uh, artists at the art school rent out the whole place. And then there would each artist would get a room and you would just walk in to the rooms and then experience whatever the artist wanted you to experience. Like one room I walked in and the person had cut trees and logs to exactly fit from the floor to the ceiling. And it looked like a forest, like they had pine straw and everything down. It was wild and uh, all kind of things. Um, but anyway, those same people are wanting to do a drive-through art here so you would come in and then we have a large parking lot and so there would be different exhibits and, and setups installations around the whole property and you would just drive through and see it kind of like going to see christmas lights at a yeah, yeah. at a park yeah yeah um now outside the roaster here and it was at the old roaster too there's a sign that says the bike is the answer yeah um can you talk about what that means and why why it, is it important to you yeah well, I really have been cycling pretty much my whole life. Like when I was in, in high school, young in high school, um, I had gotten a group of kids to say that they would ride with me from Columbia, South Carolina to Charleston. And my dad really helped support all that. And uh, we laid out the map and everything. And then um, everybody backed out and I'm sure it's because they didn't tell their mom and dad until like the week before, like, Hey, I think we're going to ride to trust. And they're like, no, you're not. You know? <laughs> so I was like, dang. And my dad said, well, you can do it by yourself. You know, we, there were no cell phones or anything then. So he just gave me stacks of quarters and he was like, when you get to this town, you call me. And when you get to this town, you call me. And, you know, and so he got me a hotel room in Charleston. And I did that. And just the freedom that I felt from that, from then on, that's that's just what I did was just cycle everywhere. And when I went to Clemson, um, I had a little uh, BMX bike, you know, and I brought it to vet school. And the people were like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's like I never owned a car until I got married. And I just, I think the phrase, the bike is the answer, it's kind of like that Kevin Bacon's, you know, game where you're like, how many people, um, like you name an actor or an actress, mm. and then how many people away are they from Kevin Bacon? Because he'd been in so many different films and, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, that to me, it's, if you have a problem, you start riding a bike, it's going to help, you know, it's like if you have finance problems, Let's start riding a bike. Like, don't don't get rid of your car. Don't pay insurance. Don't pay a car. You know, right? You know, don't if you can't afford riding a bus or you don't have time, start riding a bike. Or you have health problems, well, start riding a bike a little bit. Or you have like anxiety or or different you know mental problems. A lot of times, you can ride a bike and you can clear up you know a lot of things. So anyway, that's that's where I was like, man, just give a problem and. I guarantee a lot of it if you start riding a bike. You know, we we would decrease our dependency on oil, you know. Um, if more and more people, if it was set to ride a bike, it was easy. Um, UGA did a um, survey about riding bikes and why people don't ride bikes. And a lot of people would like to ride bikes, but the number one reason is their safety. 
And, and I, I agree. I mean, you get out on the road and not everybody's looking out for you and that kind of thing. Um, but I think Athens has done a beautiful job and we're still progressing forward of putting bike paths and bike lanes and allowing for people to get away from traffic to get to where they want to go. Um, so I think that's neat. Yeah, it is moving in the right direction. Yeah. You know, I see yeah. that. With the, and the Firefly Trail is another great Yeah, that's a big one. But for commuting purposes. Yeah. You know, we're I'm excited progress. about that because of the Beltline has had massive growth around it in Atlanta, the Beltline. And um, I think that's a potential for here because people would love to get onto a trail and ride into work mm-hmm. that did not come in contact with cars. And that gives that opportunity all the way out to Winterville and and beyond. So yeah, no, yeah. I, I I I would love that. Yeah, <laughs> me too. And then Winterville's already building their part, and so I think within the next year it's supposed to be connected. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's very exciting. So I take it you cycle to work. Uh, I do a lot. A lot. Yeah. Um, now, from following you on Instagram, I know you're also a really wonderful photographer. So, oh, thanks. Um, when did you get started with that? Uh, when I got a phone. <laughs> <laughs> if for forever, I was one of those people. My kids would be like, "Ah, oh, my dad doesn't have a phone." You know, I just didn't have a phone because I didn't need one. Um, but then, when my kids got to be where they were, you know, fifteen, sixteen and driving themselves and, and, you know, they're going to be out like my son at wrestling practice or my daughter at a band playing or something. And and I wanted to know, then I broke down and got a phone. And, um, then the, one of the last phones that I got, it's, uh, it's old now. I need another one, but it's, it was a Samsung. It had a really good camera on it. And so I just started taking pictures and. So those ones on Instagram are phone pictures. Yeah. Phone pictures. Well, you have some great sunrises. Yeah, the, the, phones, so. the phones are crazy now. Yeah, yeah, good cameras. So, And I learned from that that you're probably up earlier than I am because you have a lot of uh, nice early yeah. morning photos <laughs> when you go into the roastery. Um, two, uh, sort of two more things. So COVID hit, Yeah. Um, and you guys had to adapt. We all did. So how did Jittery Joe's and, and this location adapt to that? So the coffee shops, we just made it where you couldn't come in and hang out. You could just come in and get your coffee and leave. And uh, we just had opened those back up um, with way fewer tables and that kind of thing. And then for the roaster, as you can imagine, a bunch of restaurants and and whatnot closed. Mm. So that affected our volume drastically. But what we didn't foresee was now that everybody's at home, they want nice coffee at their house. And so our volume has gone, it's back to where it was, but it's all in cans. And so for me, the roasting, it's it's very similar amount of, of work. But for the guys in there, it's like Christmas over and over <laughs> and over. Because if you think about one order, if you order coffee, it comes mm-hmm. in, then it has to be canned. And package, if you order two cans, that's two, and you put them in the box, and then you put the invoice in the box, and you seal mm-hmm. it, and then you put a label on it, and then there's one. And they'll do hundreds of those, you know, in a day, compared to uh, Mama's Boy ordering 100 pounds of coffee, and you put it in five-pound bags, you know, and mm-hmm. take it there. That's way less on for them. 
Um, so, but it's a good thing in the sense that um, we still have something to do. Mm -hmm. So we've made, now I used to be a lot more open around the roaster where people could walk in and just come up and talk to me and show their friends the roasting process and all that. And uh, I'm all about that. Um, but now, not so much. So we've cut, cut that off. Um, and so you can just come in like another shop and, mm -hmm. and just get coffee to go. And then we have a lot of outdoor seating here. It's the only seating we have at the roaster, but that kind of works out. Yeah. Yeah. I did always appreciate that. And, and actually admired your patience with being interrupted because I was one of the people that often did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I love it because I'd say people are like, how can you have people come up and talk to you? I said, because it's like live entertainment. Like I, I get stories <laughs> I get what's happening in town or a lot more detail about something, some process that I'm interested in. Um, so yeah, I, I, I really miss that a lot. But then at the same time, I have looked at my roasting logs before where I'm like, man, this guy got here six batches ago. You know, that's an hour and a half. He's been standing here <laughs> after a little while, you know? Yeah. yeah so, yeah. and I can't go anywhere. So, but no, I, I really miss that. Yeah. Have there been any negative impacts on the business in terms of the supply chain? We actually haven't talked about coffee, uh, um, supply chain for coffee or anything. No, no, okay. no, no, not yet. Yeah. Right. So well, we good. just got to, shipping container of coffee from Nicaragua from a farm Selva Negra that we've been buying from for probably 15 years and uh so and we are due another one from them and they haven't had any problems with with picking and processing and and all of that so um but yeah this is the time that from here uh forward that we're receiving a lot of coffee from fresh crop from from all over the world so so let's talk about coffee yeah. <laughs> for a minute in terms of where you source your coffee and how you sort of built up that, that supply chain. Yeah. Uh, well, when we first started, we would just get samples. Like here, I'm, I'm, I know people can't see this, but this is a, this is a sample from Guatemala um, that we're interested in for next year. It's like, like looking at this crop for next year to replace the Guatemala that we're using this year just to see if it's interesting so here comes our here train, comes the train. <laughs> but um so what a lot of times for a supply chain is you develop relationships with somebody in a port that's bringing coffee in and you can get samples and whatnot um, but over the years we've developed there we go we'll, we'll wait a minute huh <laughs> <laughs> sometimes long train sometimes short train yeah but yeah and I always love the little bridge, you know, that people, you don't, it took me a while to find that little bridge oh, yeah. to go under the tracks. <laughs> it's a little nerve wracking going under it. It is a little nerve wracking because it shakes a little yeah, and a little like, dust coming down. How long has this been here? <laughs> yeah. I have a little train park out here. I saw that post yeah. about the train park. Yeah. And people have been bringing their kids and let's see. Oh, nice. But the, a conductor had told me that, um, an engineer had told me that, these trains now due to COVID are longer because they're trying to make less trips. And, okay. and, and so some of these trains will be upwards of three miles long. 
and they'll just they'll go on and on and on it's crazy wow yeah but then my one of my favorite parts of these trains is the art and the art is just like oh some of it is masterpieces you know yeah and then a lot of it you just can't tell what it says but it's a lot of really neat colors but Mm -hmm. some of them are a whole scene you know like and then yesterday uh i missed uh huge bart simpson on on a and it was classic i mean it was done to the t it was exactly bart simpson yeah but i didn't have my phone with me i was like oh Oh. (laughs) yeah well it looks like that might be rolling for a while um okay so anything else about coffee oh yeah so but so (laughs) i was saying is over time we had started making relationships with uh certain estates and certain um farms and so we have a number of coffees that we buy direct every year and we just no matter what that's what we're buying Mm -hmm. and uh, those are big parts of our blends and so we have you know that need all the time and then we also have a varietals program where we're bringing in um, special coffees to rotate so the next one we'll have is a coffee from Kenya and we only have uh, three burlap bags of it so that's only about 400 pounds and that's it um, and so we'll sell that and it'll be gone and then we'll have another coffee we had one just recently from Burundi that when we bought it it paid for goats for this community and then as we sold it we put more money back and then um, they got more goats so you know things things like that those kind of relationships um, but yeah okay well what uh, last question or anything oh they're stopping it's on the tracks they're going to they're going to be here for a while yeah look at look at that one oh yeah nice that's very nice um what advice you know so this this podcast is sort of aimed at incoming students and prospective applicants to the MBA program but obviously it's open to the world so yeah <laughs> what advice would you have to people who are moving to Athens moving to Athens yeah. oh i would say um well, just based on my experience, when I first moved to Athens, I was just completely tied to school. And I was in vet school, so it was a little bit mm-hmm. rigorous. And so you, you had to do a lot of studying and whatnot. But when I started to go to the coffee shop and write my thesis and meet the people and see what was going on, just go ahead and delve into like the flagpole and see what's going on because there's so many things going on on campus and there's so many things going on in downtown and there's so many things going on in people's homes. You have uh, all types of uh, dance performances and art shows and uh, house, you know, house shows mm-hmm. with bands and just, this is a very creative town and all you have to do is just scratch the surface. If you don't, you 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 won't see it, mm-hmm. but most of the people that are if you go to a, a restaurant and you order, um, and the server brings you some food, they're most likely doing something really neat. And I would just ask them like, "Hey, what do you do?" You know, mm-hmm. because once you start doing that, you make your network and your circle. Um, you will be entertained and you will learn constantly. Okay. That's what I say. Okay. Well, actually, one more question: Do you yeah. have any business advice to offer? Uh, I'm not the best one for that. (laughs) I will, I will say from experience and, um, just like, don't be afraid to step out and try it. 
just and that's so cliche they go well you gotta fail a bunch of times but it's the truth Mm -hmm. and if you don't you're just gonna be stuck in whatever path you've put yourself on be open to any opportunities that are crossing that path and don't don't feel like you have to stay on that path Mm -hmm. that's what i would say Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. I really appreciate it, Charlie. Oh, I've yeah. Thank you. It's been great talking to you. Well, I appreciate it, too. Thank you to Charlie for taking the time to talk with me today and for the cup of coffee for myself and our producer, Scott Duvall. There have been many days I've gone into the roaster just to see the people when I need to pick me up. Getting a coffee is just a perk of stopping in, pun intended. In our show notes, we've linked to a blog post about Jittery Joe's that has some photos of the Barber Street Roaster. When you are in Athens, it's definitely worth stopping by when you need a break. There are more episodes coming for season two, so stay tuned. After that, season three begins, back to school, which starts in August. Until then, stay safe, be kind, and go dogs!